the words that I would like to address you from are from the 38th Psalm. I invite you to turn there, though the verses will be on the screen. I think it would be helpful for you, for most of you, to follow along on a device or in a Bible that's in front of you, and it's on page 436 or 466 in our Bibles that we have sitting out or under some of the chairs. What if we have landed in a tough spot, not because the Lord and His providence just generally directed us there, not because of our fault, but because we followed our own noses, because we caused our own pain. Often our problems result from sheer selfishness or stupidity. What then? Read that years ago in Rules, Red Sea Rules by Robert Morgan as he asks us the question, what do you do when you face afflictions and those afflictions were caused by your own knuckleheadness, since that seems to be the word of the morning. I looked up the term knucklehead means to be stupid or foolish. The Bible says that as children, folly or foolishness, knuckleheadness, is in the heart of a child and the rod of discipline drives it far from them, or at least it should do that, it has that purpose. The Bible talks about how God helps us in our trials that cause our growth, but what about the trials that are consequences for the mistakes that we make, or put a lot more biblically, our sins? David's prayer in this psalm that we're going to look at, Psalm 38, is a prayer from a child of God, and he's marked as God's child, and yet he's guilty of sin and is feeling the pain of it. I've entitled this sermon, A Prayer from, for a Guilty and Hurting Child of God. If last Sunday's message, Psalm 37, would be a passage where I've had some people say, Psalm 37, that's one of my favorite, Pastor Daniel. I have never had anybody tell me Psalm 38 is. That's the blessings of going Psalm by Psalm through the Scripture. It forces us to look at inspired Psalms by the Holy Spirit in order for us to truly grasp what God would have for us in this passage. David is afflicted. And the sin is what's causing the affliction. What about for you? Maybe it is a wayward child in the home or outside the home. And it's breaking you. And you know that you're guilty of neglect. Maybe it's a marriage that you should have not chosen. And now you're reaping the consequences Maybe it's drinking or drugs or foolish decisions over the years, and now you're paying for it. Maybe it's porn or habitual selfish choices, the failure to forgive someone, and now you are a mess and in a mess. Maybe it's laziness in school or impulsiveness 
and it's led to consequences or paralyzing debts. Maybe it's the folly at your job or work that has caused your situation to be in jeopardy and you're to blame. Psalm 38 is for you now or will be for you in some time. It is for us as we need to lament like God taught us through David. This is a prayer, a prayer of, that's heavy. And I would like to divide this, this prayer into a few sections, four sections, in which you find, as you scan through the 22 verses of this psalm, you see there's a four times when there's a section where David addresses God and he addresses Him in three different terms. He addresses Him as Lord, L, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is Yahweh. That's His covenant name. His covenant faithfulness to God, from God to His people. Then there is my God, He refers to. And this is my God, there was all the nations believed in gods, but he's saying there is a God who's the God over all gods, and he is my God. He has become my God by God's grace. And then there's Lord, and you'll see in most translations that doesn't have them in all caps, which capital L and then O-R-D are all lower cases. And that's another term for God named Adonai, which means the sovereign Lord. He is the Lord over all Lords, we're going to look at this, and I've entitled this a prayer for guilty and hurting Christians, real children of God. You see, the, I see in these, this passage, David, through a prayer, instructs us and comforts us as we think in terms of, we're going to walk through this, that God hurts us, but God knows us, and God hears us, and God saves us. So let's, let's begin. First of all, verse 1, we see God hurts His own. God hurts His own. That sounds raw. That sounds sharp-elbowed. That sounds somewhat wrong. God hurts his own, verses 1 through 8. Let's look at it. David has us sing, because this is a song, O Lord, there he calls on Yahweh, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Now, as I read these eight verses, I want you to see that David is suffering, and you're going to see he's suffering physically, he's suffering emotionally, psychologically, you could say spiritually. Now, down this, these verses, he's also suffering socially. His relationships with friends and families and enemies are just at him. So he's suffering. And he's suffering because of his sin. And God is disciplining him in this all. So let's with those categories in mind, let's read this. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath, for your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh. 
Because of your indignation, there is no health in my bones. Now see this turn, because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day I go about mourning, for my sides are filled with burning, and there is no soundness of my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. Not a cheery section, not a cheery verse. And David begins by saying, O Lord, he doesn't say don't rebuke me. He says don't rebuke me in your anger. Don't discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy upon me. And he pours out in lament. He cries out his pain. And he knows it's because of his sin, his folly, his iniquity. And it's God's just discipline upon him. I grew up in a Christian home and a loving father and mother. And they believed in the use of the rod. Proverbs, I already referred to this. The, the heart of a child has folly in it, but the rod drives it far from them. And so they used a spanking stick and they spanked me in control and in love and in proactive, instructive, caring discipline because they wanted me to fear the Lord, to love what is good, and to obey mom and dad and to tell the truth and to walk in integrity and live in respect. And when I got a spanking, boy, did it smart. Well, in 1659, a pastor Puritan in England, known for his help to sinners and sufferers, isn't that all of us, wrote a book in order to comfort and to instruct Christians to deal with things like Psalm 38 when you are going through experiences facing consequences in your life and God is disciplining you because of your decisions. And he wrote this book called A Mute Christian, meaning a silenced Christian. They're quiet. And they wait before God. That's what he meant by mute. A mute Christian under the smarting rod. And what we find here, my first point is God puts his children under the smarting rod of God. We see in this text, David's suffering, it's all over here, it's, it's deep. You just read it. You, you read with me. David's suffering is because of his sin, because of his iniquities, because of his foolishness, verse 5. Friends, it would be wrong for me to say that suffering is never from our sins, just as much as it would be to say that it is always because of our sins. Sometimes our suffering is not because of our sins, but God in His providence are disciplining us in a proactive love, and it wasn't because of the consequences of our sins, but just as... They said, who sinned, he or his father, that he was born blind? Neither, but that God would be glorified. Sometimes that's the case. And sometimes it is because of our sins. 
David is suffering because of the discipline of the Lord. And this should cause us to just stop and realize that if you are a child of God, and there's only one way to become a child of God is by being not born physically, but be born spiritually, being saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and by God's mercy of which we sing and we're going to celebrate in just a few minutes when we take communion. If you are a child of God, He will discipline you. He will rebuke you. Sometimes when we suffer in this way, we don't know if it's from the consequences of our sins. But we know we're a sinner. We may not have confessed our sins. We might not have yet. And God might be afflicting us because of our sin. I want to point you to a, such a, a universal and important truth that the scriptures teach, both in Proverbs chapter 3, 11 and 12, when he says, wise son, don't disregard the discipline of your father or of the Lord. And in Hebrews chapter 12, the author writes, my son, he, he quotes the Old Testament in Proverbs, and he says, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you like sons. For that, what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. We have earthly fathers who disciplined us and, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seems best to them. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For a moment, discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I guess we would come to Psalm 38 and pray that God, would you allow Psalm 38 to direct us through this prayer to when we face and we will face, and for many of us, we are facing in some ways the need of Psalm 38, and we are under, in some ways, the smarting rod of God, and we are to be instructed by this in Psalm 38 helps us in this. We do not want to be like the man of transgression in Psalm 36. This person has no fear of God. He, has, he flatters himself with his own eyes. His iniquity cannot be found or he is not hated. He doesn't hate his sin. This passage would want us to see and look around Scripture and see, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. This psalm implies and calls us to cry out to God for mercy when you're facing it. This psalm lets us know to lament, to cry out to the Lord in our suffering. And let discipline work. God wants to teach you to look up to God in grace. I wonder for this morning what you are going through. And as you feel the pains and sufferings of difficult people and difficult circumstances in your life that afflict you, we should all look to God and say, oh God, what are you teaching me? Whether it is because of the direct consequences of my sin, it might be, or it's just 
God in his love using trials and afflictions to discipline and grow you unconnected to consequences, we should realize that God does hurt his own. But he never hurts his own as an end in itself. He does it out of love because he has a purpose. He has a goal. And that goal is so great and so better than better than any of the goals that we would ever, ever dream up for ourselves. His goal is to glorify Himself through us and bring us into great deep love and conformity to become like Him, to have fruit that bears for on and on in eternity. Can you think about how God has used the discipline, the hurting of God in your life to grow you? Maybe it's humbled you. And caused you to depend on him like you've never depended on him before. Maybe it has revealed sin in your life. You've suffered and you realized that you were putting your trust in something. A person. Money. A job. The good approval of other people. And that was your satisfaction. And oh, how foolish it is to make those things your rock, your security, and your satisfaction. God in His discipline, in His love, comes and alleviates us of those things by hurting us through His rod because He loves us. David cries out and he says, Oh God, please have mercy by don't discipline me with your wrath or anger. But it's because of my sin that I'm facing this. Now he transitions, and let's look at verses 9 through 14, where not only do we see God hurts his own, we see that God, this, is, this brings the comfort, do not despair, God knows his own. Verses 9 through 14, verse 9 he says, O Lord, O sovereign God, O sovereign King, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it is all gone from me. Now he talks about, and as he cries out to God, crying out, saying, God, you know, and I'm confident in that. You've heard my groanings, and I'm confident in that. But he also rejoices in the fact that God, in hearing this, wants to allow him to continue to offer up what we call lament, his complaints unto God. And he says, he says, my heart throbs in strength. And he says, I have friends and companions. Verse 11, they stand aloof from my plague. It's as though I'm sick and it's like I have leprosy and they stay away from me. Even my nearest kin stand far off. And it's, it's so lonely. Verse 12, those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. David's saying, what has happened in my affliction is not only have I felt it inwardly with God judging me or disciplining me, but my, it's alienated me from family and from friends. And now my enemies are unfairly dogging on. They're piling on and hurting me. Verse 13, but I am like a deaf man. I do not hear like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth are no rebukes. He has no voice. He has no ability to defend himself. He is overwhelmed. But I just want you to see this. 
We must know this. Whether this be in our suffering because of the consequences of our sins or the fact that we live in a sinful world and God says, I'm going, I love you so much, I want to grow you up and I'm going to use afflictions in your life and it's going to hurt. Psalm, this verse 9 especially reminds us, God knows. God knows. I could say cares. We're going to see this as we see this. And the collective psalms as they come together. God always knows your every hurts and longings. All of them he knows. Psalmist says, you have kept my tossings. You put my tears in a bottle. Are they not in your books? God knows your hurts and your pains. And he cries out to this God. The psalms, the scriptures Make it so clear. It is the Lord who searches us and knows us. He knows when we rise and when we go down. Psalm 139. He searches and he knows everything about us. Even before a word is in our tongue. Oh Lord, you know it all together. Friend, brother and sister, when you are afflicted, whether it is because of your sin, the sins of others, or just the hand of God's providence, Know that God knows. But though he knows, he tells you to lament and cry out and offer up your complaints, your pains to the Lord. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our griefs and sins to bear. And what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. We can move on to verse 15, and verse 15 is another address to God, as you can see in verse 15. If we said, the beginning, God hurts his own, but God knows his own. And what this brings us to in verse 15, God hears his own. Look at verses 15 through 20. Psalmist says, David says, but for you, O Yahweh, O Lord, To you do I wait. This word wait means I put my hope in you. I wait there and I hope in you and I stay there and I know that there is no other hope but you and you alone and that is enough. But to you, O Yahweh, do I wait. It is you, O sovereign Lord, my God. You are my God who will answer God hears his own, and if he hears his own, he answers his own, his own people. He reminds, he remembers in this prayer, he says, For I have said in the past, only let them not rejoice over me who boast against me when my foot slips. Now see the confession. He again says, For I'm ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin but my foes are vigorous they're mighty and many are those who hate me wrongfully those who render me evil for good and accuse me of because I follow after good this psalm if you think about it and dig into it is so realistic to our lives How many times have you been caught in a situation or found yourself in a difficult situation with very difficult people 
and they're accusing you and attacking you like we see here. My foes are vigorous, they are mighty, and many are those who hate me and they hate me wrongfully. And they do, they're accusing me of things that I didn't do. And, and I'm, I want to say, that's not fair, that's wrong. And at the same time, you're saying, but I am wrong here, here, and here. And I know that if I get going, I have all these other problems. And so it's mixed. It's so realistic because we have people that they're catching us on something that I didn't do. But boy, they could, if they point, if they really saw into my heart and my life, they could pick a thousand things to accuse me of and be really right about it. And David, David here, he cries out to God. That's what's happening in verse 15. God, I wait for you. God, you're my promise-keeping God, and I wait for you. And in waiting for you, I know you will answer me. You hear me. I've cried out for vindication, but I confess my iniquity. I don't make excuses for it. I, don't, I say I'm sorry for it, and I confess it to you. We can learn from this. We learn that God hears, so call on Him. And wait on Him. Wait on Him while you still keep calling on Him. Wait on Him and don't stop waiting on Him. Do not cease to wait and trust that God in His good timing will come when it is exactly the right time to come. God never tells us to wait because... He's too busy. God is never too busy. God never tells us to wait because he's focusing on something else. He tells us to wait because the timing to wait is right. He wants you to wait because it is best to wait. He has something for you to learn to wait. He's caring for you and growing you in the wait. This psalm, this section also says, call on him, he answers, and confess your sins to God. Where he says in verse 18, I confess my sin, my iniquity, that's the, that's the wickedness of my heart. My desires that drive me to do things that are selfish and proud and wrong. And my sins. And believe in the promise, 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The Lord Jesus is our guarantee. It could be this morning that it's because you are not yet a Christian, you are not yet His own, and He is calling you, and I invite you to become His own. Psalm 37, last week's psalm, says, commit your way to the Lord. But I said it means roll your ways to the Lord. Roll your burdens to the Lord. Put it all on Him. This psalm, He would say, wait upon me. Roll them onto me. Trust in me. And God will act in His good time. He will vindicate you in His verse, good time. Verse 6 of Psalm 37. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Though He fall... He will not be cast headlong because the Lord upholds him in his hand. Afflicted saint, to Christ draw near. 
Your Savior's gracious promise here, His faithful word, you can believe. That as your days, your strength shall be, and that strength will be to wait upon Him as He does His good work in your life. This psalm says, through this prayer of lament, God, you, God hurts His own, and God knows His own, and God, by God's grace, He hears and answers His own. And we find as this psalm ends in the last verses, verses 21 and 22, God saves His own. Look at what these verses do not, these are just, these are pleas now to God. Do not forsake me, O Lord. Oh my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. This, this whole psalm doesn't just move into this like triumphal, everything is better, I feel awesome and great, and he has given me joy where I had sorrow, and he's given me relief and comfort when I didn't have it and I was sick and full, overwhelmed. It, it doesn't give us that, but it gives us a, a prayer, a guilty and hurting prayer, person that's praying, who comes and says, take heart. As you hear this prayer to God, take heart. God saves his own. And he does it as he says, do not forsake me, Yahweh, O Lord, O covenant-keeping God who made promises to me to never leave me or forsake me, oh, please, please fulfill your promises. And oh, you're my God. You are my God who has saved me. Be not far from me. I think of the promise in Philippians chapter 4. The Lord is near. And the psalmist says, be not far from me. And he says, make haste to help me. Are you, have you been there where you're like, you're on your knees and it is so discouraging. You're so frustrated. You're so hurt. You're so discouraged. You're so overwhelmed. And you need to say, you've got to use these words. Oh God, please don't forsake me. It feels like you are. Oh God, please help me to wait upon you because I feel like you're forsaking me. Come near to me. Come near to me. I need you to hold me. I'm thankful that God does that in certain ways. Sometimes he hold, waits and makes you wait. One of you shared with me this week that you were so discouraged. You felt so distant from God and you cried out to God. You said, God, please show me your love. Show me your care. Be near to me and make haste to help me. And out of the blue, a friend that he hadn't heard from in months from another state reached out and said, God, put me on my, on your, on my heart to reach out to you. I've been praying for you this morning. I just want to encourage you with that. And my friend shared with me, he said that was like God coming and being near to me, not forsaking me, but helping me. Oh, that God does these gracious touches in our lives. They can happen in the middle of the night while you're comforting a baby that just will not cooperate. Or a situation as you're driving home on a commute and so frustrated dealing with overwhelming circumstances that, oh, we, we learn to pray. And, we, and this verse ends, verse 20 ends with, oh, Lord, my salvation. Just a simple name. You are my salvation. 
You are my rescuer. You are my deliverer. You are my God. Friends, God is committed to his own to keep you secure. He will never hurt you beyond what's your, for your good. He knows you so caringly and his presence is constant even though it isn't always felt. And if it is far from you in feeling, it is because God has a purpose. But cry out to him and ask him to come near. God's timing is perfect. It is never wrong. And his salvation is certain. So where does this psalm lead us to? It leads us to lament, to pray like David. To pray, crying out to God directly, to turn to Him knowing He can help. It's to offer our complaints to God in honest confession and submission to His discipline. Hurting and guilty children of God, you will hurt and you will deal with guilt if you are His children. And do not lose heart or be dismayed. He forsaketh not His saints. He saves, so call on Him. And he hears, so come to him. He knows your pains and yet desires for you to cry unto him. It is your necessary obligation. And it brings the fruit that God intends to produce in you. God hurts his own because he loves his own. Let me end with this. I, I just want to give you words of cheer as we then go to communion. As you, as you face these realities in your life, and you feeling the, the, the discipline of affliction, the smarting hand of God in your life, you feel guilty and hurting as a child of God, let me give you some com- comfort and gospel cheer. One, your affliction, if you're a child of God, the affliction you face is the fruit of God's love towards you. Even though it doesn't feel like that, trust Him and believe that. He is destroying pride in your life and wants to bring you humility. And that is the most happy producing thing when you have true humility. He is seeking to grow true faith and trust and belief in Him and who He is and satisfaction in Him. He wants you to discover sin and He wants to prevent sin and He wants you to kill sin through this It is love, even though it doesn't feel like it. Also, here's another comfort. The afflictions of this life, the afflictions in this life that you face, including because of your sin, is all the hell you will ever have. Thomas Brooks says this in his book. He reminds the Christian That all your trials and troubles, calamities and miseries, crosses and losses, which you meet in this world, is all the hell that you shall ever have. Here and now, you shall have hell at times. Hereafter, you shall have your heaven. This is the worst of your condition. The best is yet to come. You have all your pangs and pains and throes here, and you shall... Ever have your ease and rest and pleasure is yet to come. Here you have your bitters, then you'll have your sweets. Here you have your winter nights, your summer days are yet to come. 
Here you have your evil things, your good things are yet to come. Death will put an end to all your sins and to all your sufferings. Death will be an inlet to those joys, delights, and comforts which shall never have an end. Who can seriously meditate upon this and not be silent under God's smarting rod? So, what do we do? Let us humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Let us not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Let us confess our sins to the Lord. Let's look to Him and Him alone and seek our refuge. He will not forsake us. And remember with gratitude that He works this for our good. Let's pray. Father, please have mercy on us. Oh, have mercy on us. We prayed that. Christ, have mercy on us. Oh God, help us to take our sins really seriously. God, I pray that we would be clean of conscience, so joyful of what you've done for us because we have not ignored or put our heads in the sand and ignored sin and failure and our faults, but we would cry unto you for mercy and we would enjoy your mercy. Oh God, give us heavenly perspective as we come to these things. Oh God, please, please help us. In Jesus' name, amen.